The Heinemann Podcast presents a new six-week series. Of all the tools available to the classroom teacher to mitigate anxiety and relieve depression in students, writing is a powerful one. Over 200 research studies since the late 80s have reported that expressive writing especially can improve people's physical and emotional health. So how does writing do this? And what can I do as a classroom teacher to position my students to take this verbal medicine, as author Barry Lane calls it? Join me, Liz Prather, on the Heinemann Podcast each week starting April 4th as we learn about the healing power of writing. What can we learn from the text that we admire the most? How can they inform our own writing? Today on the Heinemann Podcast, we're joined by authors Carl Anderson and Matt Glover. Carl's latest book, A Teacher's Guide to Mentor Texts, is part of the Classroom Essentials series and takes teachers through all the fundamental steps to using mentor texts in their practice. In this conversation, Matt and Carl discuss why mentor texts are useful, how to pick an appropriate mentor text, and ways that you can introduce them to your students. As always, a transcript of this podcast is available on blog.heinemann.com. Carl, it's so good to have this opportunity to talk to you about this um, new book. Um, I've learned so much about writing from you over the years. If you had told 2010 me that I was would be doing this today and hosting you on this podcast and being able to interview you, I certainly wouldn't have believed it. So I'm really glad to be able to um, think about this topic with you today. It's just um, a topic we both care so much about and think so much about, and so I've really been looking forward to this. People so often think of you as a, uh, you know really focusing on conferring, and certainly you know more about conferring than anyone I know. And at the same time, I don't ever really think of you as a conferring person. I really think of you as someone who knows a lot about teaching, right? Happens to be in the area of conferring, but you're really a teaching expert. Um, and so, in a, but on a book like this about teaching with mentors, you know, how did how did this book come to be? Well, I've been thinking about mentor texts and studying teaching with mentor texts really for the past thirty years. Way back when I was teaching eighth grade in Kentucky, I had um, I got a copy of Georgia Hurd's book on teaching poetry, for, for the good of the earth and the sun, and uh, she modeled how to use uh, mentor poems to teach, and I tried that, and I was amazed at um, how it really lifted the level of um, my students' poetry writing. And then Ralph Fletcher's book What a Writer Needs um, came out shortly afterwards. I was teaching in um, Illinois at that point, and um, you know, and he certainly helped me think about narrative mentor text. And then, of course, then I, I took a class with Katie Wood Ray in 1994 at the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project. And um, she taught me a lot about the concept of reading like a writer, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about in this conversation. And um, she also taught me how to, um, how to help kids study mentor text. And so, so those are the roots of, of the book, um, the shoulders that I'm standing on. And, you know, the real impetus for this book, you know, really comes every day that I'm in schools when I'm conferring. And Almost every time that I start conferring in a school, a teacher will say, well, how do you just happen to have just the right mentor text? And how do you know where to go in the mentor text? And so, you know, that conversation that I've been having with teachers for decades about that is what grew into this book. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned um, Katie there right from the beginning, someone who we've learned so much about this from. And so it really is built on a lot of thinking around mentor text. But but I think what you've done is so... um, well, in this book is to make this really accessible for teachers, right? To really be very practical on how to do so many of these things. 
you know, I'm curious just about your thinking around learning from mentors in general, right? We know that it's not just mentors um, in writing, that there's all sorts of mentors. Why are, why are mentors so crucial? Well, you know, I think it goes back to it's something we all read in high school, or most of us read in high school, Homer's The Odyssey. If you remember the story, um, when Odysseus left for the Trojan War, he had a son, Telemachus, who he left home, and he left him in the care of a wise teacher named Mentor. So when we use the word mentor, we're literally talking about a teacher in mythology. And um, and of course, we we all learn from mentors. I mean, it's really something, it's one of the most important ways that we learn to do anything, not just teaching writing. I think of, you know, we're both sailors, you and me, Matt, and I learned so much about sailing from my mentor as a teenager, Joe McCann, an incredible sailor, just watching him sail, being with him in boats. And, um, and you know, I coached my son's baseball team the last 13 years. And I'm not a great baseball player. I, I'm a good organizer of a team and knew some things, but I knew quickly I needed to get him in the company of, of mentors. So we sent him to baseball camp in the summer and uh, his teachers there were great mentors for him. And, uh, you know, it, in, in the arts, one of the things that you see over and over again is just artists just have mentors. Um, I love going to New York City art museums. And every time I go to an exhibit, whether it's Jacob Lawrence, um, you know, a Winslow Homer, who was this summer at the Met, um, you always learn about the painters that they that were their mentors. Musicians have mentors. Just It's just part of the creative act um, to learn how to do anything creative or athletic or really anything we want to do. We study mentors. And um, so I, I think that's really what's, the, what's underneath the idea of using mentor text in writing workshop. So as you think about um, that, though, then why are mentor texts so important? Gosh, there's so many reasons why it's important to teach with mentor text. I'm, I, I often describe myself as being obsessed with teaching with mentor text, and um, and there are a whole bunch of reasons. But two of them that I think are really interesting to think about is one of the things that kids really need to learn. You know, student writers need to learn is that reading and writing are interconnected acts. Ralph Fletcher has said, for example, that not all readers are writers, but all writers are readers. Meaning that people who write learn from studying text. And, and that's such an important concept to get across to children. And it, it's it's such an important part of the writing process that um, I hope that every child has the experience um, with um, in writing workshop. You know, a second reason that I love teaching with mentor text and why I think it's so important is I think it just helps us be so much better teachers. You know, I grew up with wonderful teachers. They were so hardworking and they did the best with what they knew at the time, but they generally taught writing by telling me what to do. You know, they would prescribe the structure of an essay, for example, or tell me sentence by sentence what needed to be in an introduction. And, you know, so when we use a mentor text, we can teach so much better. You know, instead of telling students to write a hook that catches your reader's interest, show them a lead and describe exactly what the writer is doing in that lead. And when we have that example there that they can see, and we describe really precisely and exactly what that writer is doing, we really make that craft technique accessible to kids. I like to say that it's, we give the keys to the kingdom to children, we show them into our text, and we have, we explain what writers are doing, and we have them study um, what writers are doing in mentor texts. Yeah, I mean, that really just describes that so perfectly. It really is what makes the difference between teaching versus telling, right? It's, it's very difficult to um, teach unless we can show, model, teach how to do, how someone does that. 
you know, and as you think about that, you know, we were, we we're talking today a lot about um, published mentor texts, but there are other types of mentors as well. And so, so I wonder if you could just talk about the different types of mentors we can learn from, and then also why published mentors are so important. Well, there, there are three kinds of mentor texts that we could use. We could use published text, as, as you mentioned. We can use our writing as a mentor text, and we can use student writing as a mentor text. And I think they all have important uh, aspects to, um, to, to each of them. And so when we use published mentor text, it gives us the opportunity to show what really good writers do. And just like kids learn to love from, they learn to, they love to learn from studying um, people like if they play basketball, um, LeBron James or James Harden. Um, they want to go in the gym and be just like LeBron James or James Harden. Um, kids get really excited by study public, studying published mentor text and, and learning from just the best in the world. I was in a kindergarten classroom uh, last, last year, I remember, and um, the kids have been studying Donald Cruz's writing. And it was like they had a personal relationship with him. When they talked about the book, they would say, I noticed that Donald did this, or I want to do what Donald did here. Um, but they were so excited um, by the idea of learning from a really wonderful, great writer um, like Donald Cruz. So I think published mentor texts are part of you know, the equation. When we use our own writing, there are a couple of reasons for doing that. Um, you know, sometimes there's some units of study we do where it's just hard to find published text. I was with uh, you know, third and fourth and fifth grade teachers this week who were studying opinion writing with kids. And it's they're not as plentiful mentor text and persuasive writing as narrative or nonfiction text are. So they had written some of their own, which I thought was lovely. And um, and of course, when we use our own writing, we are demonstrating for kids that we're writers too, and it gives us a different cred um, as teachers when they see us as writers. And I think also when we write our own mentor text, we know the things, some of the things we want to teach kids, um, and uh, we can embed those techniques, those craft techniques in the mentor text that we write. And then student writing, I, th I think it's important to include some of that in our teaching. Um, student writing, of course, you know, is in the kid's zone. It's it's a, a kid that is in the you know in the grade in the class. And when kids look at what fellow students do, they can say, "Oh, I, I can do that because you know that's what another kid does." And um and something you've taught me, Matt, about Matt about student mentors is that it's a good idea to use student writing from this year so that the kid the child is there to talk about it um, and can explain their thinking. And also you've you've also helped me think a lot about using writing from kids that may not be the most confident writers in a classroom, but showing writing from students who are those kind of low confidence writers is a real way of building their confidence and their self-esteem as writers. So I, I think there's, you know, all three of these kinds of mentor texts, there's, you know, there's wonderful advantages to each of them. And I think uh, having a mix of them in our in our repertoire is is really important. Yeah, I think I couldn't agree more. That, that, that's so crucial to have that that full range, just because different teaching points, different students, you know, will need different things, and um, being able to customize that, like anything in education, is is, is crucial. So if we're going to learn from mentors, then we're going to need some skills. And I, we, we, you and I talk a lot about um, reading like a writer, it gives people an insight into the kinds of things we talk about <laughs> way too often, but. As you think about reading like a writer and that connection to um, mentor texts, um, if you could explain a little bit why re what reading like a writer is and why is it um, why is it important? You know, reading like a writer. You know, writers do a special kind of reading. 
uh, when people who write read texts, uh, they notice what other writers do with the intent that they may try those things themselves. Okay, it's a kind of close reading that writers do to really build their repertoire of craft techniques or the way that writers use conventions in text. Uh, the roots of the idea of reading like a writer go back to Frank Smith in the 1980s, and then uh, Katie Ray um, in her book, Wondrous Words, and all her books talks about reading as a writer as well. And, um, you know, just some metaphors, I think, that help us understand the concept of reading like a writer. For example, let's say you're, you're, you've decided to renovate your kitchen. Um, so all of a sudden, every time you go to someone's other, other people's houses, you look at their kitchens in a different way. You notice their backsplash and you think, hmm, do I want a backsplash like that? Or look at these cabinets. You know, where'd you get those? Or if you're getting married soon, um, you go to your friend's weddings and you look at them in a different way. You look at their centerpieces on the tables and think, huh, that's interesting. Do I want one like that? Or look at the bridesmaids' dresses. Do I want dresses like that? Um, so, you know, we, some, we sometimes read like a kitchen designer. We sometimes read like a wedding designer. It's the, it's the same kind of thinking that writers do. And reading like a writer, you know, it's, it's something we want kids to, you know, we want to give them guided experiences with reading like a writer. We want them to be able to do this kind of reading too. It's, it's important for us. We have to read like writers to teach with mentor text, but kids, we want kids to learn to read like writers. When they can notice things in text, it certainly helps them understand our lessons better. But even more important, when kids learn to read like writers in school, eventually school ends. They go out into the world and they're going to continue writing their whole lives. If they know how to read like a writer, they can look at any kind of writing they're trying to make and learn how to do it themselves. I didn't learn how to tweet in school, but when I started tweeting 10 years ago, I read other people's tweets and saw what people did. And it started using the same craft techniques in, 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 in my tweets as, um, as I saw my, my colleagues doing. So I want kids to have that same skill, um, that same habit of mind about you know, looking at texts, that they can learn a lot from other writers and keep learning about writing throughout their lives from studying other writers. You know, but it's so interesting because you really are getting a dual purpose out of it. Certainly, it's helping them become better writers. It's also helping them become just better learners, right? Because what you're making the case for there is that this is just a universal teaching and learning principle, right? One way to learn to do anything is by studying what more skilled people do. And so it just strikes me that what you like always, what you're really talking about goes beyond writing. It's really about, um, teaching and learning. And, and the, the, what you just said about reading like a writer applies in any other subject area as well. So what I think is always so powerful right. about this. Yesterday I was having a, I was with the fourth grade teacher who previously had been a middle school math teacher. And we were talking about, you know, we often in, in math class, kids often are told to show their work. Something always frustrated me as a kid, like, what does that mean? And we talked about how if, if you really want to teach kids how to show their work, we need to have models of what that looks like. What does it look like when someone is really good at math, does a problem and shows their work and reveals their thinking? And, you know, it's just a good connection between reading like a writer, reading like a mathematician and, and studying the kinds of proofs or problems that mathematicians do. So, yeah, it is a kind of reading that has implications beyond writing workshops. And so in the book, you talk about um, five steps for, you know, how teachers can teach well with mentor texts. I just wonder if you could go through those steps. You know, I, let's go back to what I said earlier. And a lot of times when I'm in schools, you know, I, I do a lot of modeling of conferring in schools and a lot of coaching of teachers when they're conferring. But when I'm doing the modeling, like I was yesterday, for example, um, in a school, 
often teachers will say, well, where'd you find those texts? And how did you know which texts to bring into that conference? And how do you know just where in the text to, you know, to show a child? And, you know, and the term that I use, you know, it's, it's not magic. Sometimes people say, you make it look like magic. You just happen to have this text available. Um, but I said, no, it's not magic. There's actually what I call an infrastructure around mentor text, which I'm going to really describe as a series of steps that we go through to make those texts available, to, to get them in our fingertips when we need them, when we teach in a mini lesson, a small group or a conference. And so, you know, to me, the steps are there's uh, in the book, I talk about five steps. I talk first about finding texts. You know, if you're going to teach with mentor texts, we first need to have them. And so there's a lot of lot to know about finding text. And then second, once we have text, we need to get to know those texts. That's That's the second step. And we need to be reading those texts and looking for a ton of teaching points in each text. We need to be super familiar with those texts. And so that's that's kind of the preparation work, those two steps. And then there's three steps. The third, fourth, and fifth step really are about the work we do in classrooms. To me, the third step is once we found texts, once we've gotten to know them, we're in a unit and we have a couple texts that will become the mentors for the unit. The third step is to introduce the text to students in the immersion stage of a unit of study, the first couple of days of a unit, when we read text to kids, enjoy them as readers, start talking about them as writers, and just get them in play in the classroom. So that's the third step. And then the fourth step to me is in craft studies, we want to do what we call whole class text study. That's really whole class inquiry into mentor text. That's really exciting work that I learned originally from Katie Wood Ray in 1994. But that's a guided experience with, with reading um, and studying mentor text that helps kids learn to read like writers. And then the fifth and final step is once we've done all that work of finding text, getting to know text, immersing kids in the text, studying the text as a class and whole class text study, then we teach with them in mini lessons, small groups, and writing conferences. And um, so, yeah, those those are the five steps that I, I've broken it down in that way to to help people think about the work that is underneath. You know, when I bring a mentor text out in a writing conference. What's been interesting is we've talked over time. I know all your favorite mentor texts, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, if I was teaching information all about books right now, you know exactly which book I'd pull out of my bag that I have with me. All right, you. Um, yep. Yep. And so um, I was wondering if you could just talk about that for a second. The advantage of knowing is, you know, we're going to have a stack of texts. We're going to know those well, right? There's some texts that are your favorite that you go to. Like you said that you know a ton of teaching points from. Why do you have some that you know so much better than others? I do that same thing, right? Yeah. Well, you know, let, let's let's walk back a little bit here. And uh, you mentioned a stack of text. Okay. So when we go into a craft unit of study, a genre study or a craft study where we might be studying, let's say, punctuation, like Dan Fegelson wrote about in his book, Practical Punctuation, for example. Um, we're going to have a stack of three to five, four to six mentor texts um, that we're going to use in that unit. We don't need more than that because each, you know, Katie Wood Ray has said that a good mentor text, and hope this doesn't scare you, Matt. I know you've heard Katie say this. Uh, we could teach a hundred things yeah. with the single mentor text. She actually has a part of um, her book, What You Know by Heart, where she makes a list of a hundred things you could teach with Cynthia Ryland's book, The Whales. Um, it's impressive. When you know there's 10 or 15 or 20 things you could teach with this mentor text, your three or five texts, really, you could teach 30, 40, 50, 60 different things with. You know, and I, I, I think one 
one of the misnomers, misunderstandings about mentor text is that you need a couple for leads, a couple for endings, a couple for transitions. Any text has a lead or an ending or transitions. You can teach all those things with, with any text. So um, that's why we just need a couple. And then when I'm trying to get to know them, I mean, I, I did this work with teachers yesterday. We looked at a mentor text before going into, before working with kids. And um, even in just 15 minutes, we, we took a mentor text. And what we did, the first thing we did was I just asked them, what are some of the things that just stand out to you? Kind of the things that caught your eye about the way this text was written. That's the first step in getting to know a mentor text. It's just, you know, what, what do you just notice? What kinds of things stand out to you? And then I think it's helpful to go through a text um, using the quality of writing, qualities of writing as, um, as a guide. Um, so I'll reread the text and think about its structure. You know, how does it organized? What's its lead like? It's ending like? What kind of transitions does it use? I'll think about the kinds of details in a text, um, like in a narrative, you know, are there good examples of action or character thoughts or dialogue um, or setting description or character description, for example. I'll look for voice techniques, different ways that the writer signals that the text is supposed to be written in different ways, uh, read in different ways, like bold words or italics, italicized words. And I'll also look for, you know, issue, I'll look for conventions too. I mean, we can use mentor text to teach grammar and mechanics as well. Instead of just quoting a rule about items in a series, show the kids a sentence where commas are used in items in this series so they can not only hear the convention, but see an example of it. So I think using the qualities of writing and just rereading it over and over again with those qualities in mind helps me dig into a text and find lots of things I can teach. I mean, I've been teaching with some texts for over 20 years. I just love them and they work. And, you know, it's funny as I use them over and over again, and I'm sure you've had this happen too, Matt, even in year 15 of using some text, I find some new things or a child that I'm working with sees something I didn't see, or a teacher I'm working with sees something I didn't see, and I keep adding to my repertoire of teaching points from a single text. Yeah, I always feel bad about using the same one over and over for a second, and then I think, wait a second, it doesn't matter to the child. This child doesn't know that I've been using it for 15 years. It makes it more effective that I know it well. I think that's so empowering for teachers, right, to, um, to hear you talk about just, yeah, if I have a couple that I know really well, then I can always expand from there. But boy, if I have one or two that I know particularly well and a lot that I can teach with, it makes it much easier to be able to, to be able to pull that. Let me think back on that a little bit because I was with some teachers this week and, you know, as teaching is so hard these days, there's so many expectations and some teachers were saying, you know, it's just hard to find the time to find mentor texts. And I agree. It does take some time to find the text. And, but once you find them, you don't need new ones the next year. You probably will add some new ones as, as you continue. But once you have a, a stack for a unit, it, you don't throw it out every year. You can keep using a lot of those texts over and over year after year. So it, it does involve work up front, but it can, it's work that pays dividends over time. You know, and it's, well, and if we think about that, having that stack of text, um, it's going to be crucial in a couple of parts that you've already mentioned. So I'm going to talk about immersion and whole class craft study. So let's tackle immersion first, because that's the one that I'm particularly interested in. I just am talking about it seems like more and more and more, especially knowing the power it has in classrooms. So if you could talk about immersion first um, and, and why you feel that that often missing stage is so crucial. A unit of study should start with some immersion. The kids should be seeing what they're going to be making. Okay, so if you're writing feature articles, the kids should be seeing some feature articles 
uh, at the beginning of the unit. And so we devote a couple of days to immersion. Um, and during immersion, you know, I've, I, as a teacher, I had my stack of mentor text and I would read them out loud to my students. And we were talking about them first as readers. You know, I want them to be excited by the text and to experience that you know, the excitement of reading a good feature article, because that excitement then translates into excitement for writing them. And um, and then, of course, we talk about them as writers, too. We start to generate a list of things that kids are noticing in the text, with, because they're going to be making these, these um, whatever it is um, the unit's about, they're going to be making writing like this. And so, but spending a couple days reading text with kids um, is so important. And I know that we want to get to the writing as soon as possible. And But I think we make a mistake when we don't give a couple days to immersion. It's so hard to do what you can't imagine. But by reading examples of text collectively, and of course, we can put kids in small groups as well to read text in a small group. When I used to teach poetry, I had a basket of poetry books and my kids would spend half the period on some immersion days flipping through the books and reading poems to themselves, to each other, to get you know a broader sense of how poetry goes. But those immersion days are so, so important. Um, and I, I do think because units have become so busy and so crammed with stuff that people have cut corners with immersion. And um, sometimes there is no immersion in units when I visit schools. And I think that is to the detriment of children. I think they need a couple of days of immersion to have a real sense of what they're going to be making in the unit and to begin the conversation about how they're going to be writing the kinds of, of text that is the focus of the unit. We've talked a lot about immersion days, but one of the areas that you've helped me think a lot about over the last year is whole class craft study then, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think in the past, I've kind of merged the two in my mind somewhat. And I think I've had whole class craft studies without really thinking of it that way. Like I've always said, yeah, I have some many lessons later in the unit that run longer. But you've helped me think about that a little a little differently. So if you could talk about whole class craft study and how it's, but that's also both similar and different than um, immersion days. Well, you know, I learned about whole class, uh, you know, text study from Katie Ray. One of the things that Katie taught me was I was doing all the work in my writing workshops. I was the one that was showing mentor text. I was the one that was modeling how to read like a writer. And I was the one that was always describing what writers did. But kids need some guided practice with reading like a writer themselves. Okay, it's not enough for them to see us demonstrating reading like a writer. They they need some real experiences with that. And that's where a whole class text study comes in. And in a whole class text study period, it's not normal writing workshop structure. There's no mini lesson. This it doesn't start with the mini lesson. What you do during whole class text study is you study one of the class mentor texts. Um, you know, it could go on for, uh, in one of the videos in my book, it's a it's over 30 minutes that I spend with fourth and fifth graders studying a single text, discussing it. And with the first and second graders in the video in the book, it goes on for 16, 17 minutes. Um, and what happens during that time is a couple things. One, um, I start um, by rereading the mentor text that it was already introduced in immersion, but I reread it. And this time as I reread it, I ask the kids to be on the lookout for parts that they think are written in interesting ways or for illust or for text features that are composed in interesting ways. After I reread, the kids, the second step is the kids share, they they talk, they they share the parts that they um that they enjoy, that they liked. And as that's happening, I list, you know, I, I note on my copy of the text the things that they like. And, uh, and then I, I look at those, you know, the, what they noticed, and then I'll choose a couple that I think they'll be successful with talking about. 
You know, some crafts are a little easier to talk about than others. And so um, a little more obvious things to say about them. So especially if the kids are new, I'll pick a couple that I think they'll be successful with. And then we focus on one at a time. I'll reread that section of the text. And I ask a very important question. Then I say to the kids, what do you notice about the way the writer wrote this? How did the writer do this? And then the kids talk. And if, if it's the first time they they may not be very good at it. That's okay. My job is to, is to scaffold that. My my job is to coach them as they have that conversation, as they try to really describe what writers do. And then as part of that conversation, we also talk about why they think the writer did this. And also we try to give that craft technique a name so that they can remember it. Sometimes the kids know there is a name for what we're studying and they'll say, oh, that's dialogue. But they may have another name for it that that they like even better that will help them remember it. So, um, and then we do that with another craft technique, another craft technique during the period until either the period ends. And I've done this for a full period with 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 children, and we could have still gone on further, but the class is over. Or if if they lose steam, lose 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 focus, then I'll um, end the study. And then they have some time for independent writing. Of course, I end the study by inviting kids to, you know, to try some of the things they notice in their own writing. And because that's the whole point of it. It's not just to notice, it's to, it's to try these things. And the next day I might do a mini lesson or I model how to try something they noticed in a text in my writing so they can see what that looks like and sounds like when a writer is deliberately trying something they saw in a text when, when they were reading like a writer. It's very, very exciting work to do with kids. I, I think it's amazing. The videos of whole class text study in my book just thrill me. I, I, what I've been thinking about these videos is um, it's when we give kids a chance to be smart about text, they'll be really smart about Next. Um, we just have to give them a chance to inquire. We have to give them the room to approximate this kind of you know, study in the beginning until they get better and better at it. But they just come up with insights into text that just stun me. So in a discussion of an exclamation mark with the first and second grade video, two of the students, um, one of them describes the exclamation mark as a yelling mark because she noticed that my voice got louder when I read uh, the word in the text. And then another uh, kid comes in, another student comes in and says, no, I call those emotional marks because the exclamation mark, you know, you can have a whole range of emotions that might be signaling. And I've never thought about the exclamation mark like that. And these were two six-year-olds coming up with insights into an exclamation mark that were stunning to me. And um, so I just love doing whole class text study because it just gives kids these this opportunity to really um, study text. And they will be really serious about it too. They will, If they love the text, they'll be fascinated in talking about how it's crafted. Yeah. And that's such deep thinking that they're doing, right? And so on those immersion days and those whole class, class craft studies, though, they may not be writing. The bulk of the unit um, they're writing. And so if you could talk for a minute about using mentor text, not just in those whole kind of whole group settings, but then how do we use that in conferences? How do we use that in mini lessons? How do we use that in small groups? How do we use that then to support children um, when they're writing? You know, one of the things that I'm utterly obsessed with is making sure that anytime I'm talking about a craft technique, like a lead or an ending or detail or transitions or a voice technique, like, like I'm you know, bold words, if I'm teaching that in a mini lesson, a small group or a conference, I'm showing kids a mentor text. And if I'm teaching a, a grammatical rule, I'm showing the kids a mentor text. Okay. And I think that, um, you know, one of the challenges in all of these lessons, Matt, is knowing how to talk about mentor text well. Okay. You know, a lot of us did not grow up with this. I, I don't think I ever saw a model K to 12 of what I was supposed to make. Like we wrote compositions in high school English. I never saw a model. We just kind of guessed. 
And so I didn't have teachers model how you talk about craft. And I think that's one of the hard parts of it. And one of the things that's a little bit hard about this is when we show a lead to a kid or we show a kid a scene and a narrative, talking about it precisely is hard. So, you know, I, what I do is when I'm looking at a text for the first time as a writer, I say to myself, what exactly do I see the writer of this text doing in this part? And then I try to describe it, okay, as best I can, knowing that as I use that text over and over again in a unit, because I may be using it in a mini lesson and in conferences and in a small group, I'm going to get better and better at talking about that, that craft technique or that convention. And so, you know, I, I, I think that's one challenge. Um, the other challenge, I think, Matt, is being prepared for the lessons. Mini lessons and small groups are a little easier since you know ahead of time what you're teaching you know, you can select the text ahead of time and um, and be prepared. You know, it's, you've got it on your laptop, you show it in the smart board, you got it ready to show on, on your document camera. Conferences are a little bit different because of course in the conference, we don't often know what the conference is, is gonna be about. So we start a conference by saying, how's it going? And we hope the child will tell us what they're doing. And we gotta figure out the focus of the conference in the first minute or two when we're discovering what a kid is doing. And I think the challenging part there is once we know the conference is gonna, what, what it's gonna be, let's say it's gonna be a conference, like I had a conference yesterday about internal thinking in a piece of short fiction and you know, had some mentor texts there. I had to say to myself, okay, in my stack, which is a good text to show this craft technique uh, to a child. Like yesterday, there was a boy that had, he had a line of thinking, a character thought in his piece of short fiction. And so I had Cynthia Ryland's uh, story Spaghetti with me. And there's, I know in that text, there's a whole paragraph of internal thinking by the main character, Gabriel. And I figured, well, he's already got thinking in his writing. Let me show him, let me show this kid how I can extend the thinking by showing that text. So I had to do a lot of thinking on my feet. Um, I had to just think, okay, what am I teaching? Which text has this craft technique? Which one has it in a way that seems appropriate, like an appropriate next step for this child? And then I, I pull it out of my stack and I'm um, open up to that part and show the child. It's always the challenge of conferring where you don't really know what the conference will be about for sure ahead of time. And we have to do a lot of quick thinking and make a lot of decisions in the moment, um, including which mentor text um, to use. And so and last thing, Carly, just, you know, in hearing you talk about this, it strikes me that you know, as we're thinking about learning from mentors, you know, in this book, you're doing that same thing, um, especially with the videos that you have included, right? Instead of telling about, you're really modeling it. You're acting as a mentor through the videos in this book, right? It's a perfect example of learning from a mentor then. There are a lot of videos in this book I think are tremendously powerful. You know, what are people going to see in those videos? Why are those so, um, so helpful? Well, you know, the job that you and I do, Matt, of being literacy consultants who visit schools, and we do many lessons in small groups and conferences, we're modeling how to give an effective craft lesson in in a mini lesson, small group, or a conference. We are mentors for teachers. And, you know, we can't be everywhere, um, unfortunately. I wish we could. I wish we could work with teachers everywhere, um, but we can't. And so in the book, you know, the next best thing to me is including video in a book that that models how to use mentor text um, in these different ways. So in the book, I, I, I love these videos. I had so much fun doing them and watching them this summer and, and thinking about them. But there are videos of me doing immersion work with uh, first and second graders, a group of them, and a group of fourth and fifth graders. So um, you, you see that. There are video, these videos of whole class text study. I adore just digging into the mentor text and really noticing and 
thinking and trying to read like writers. And then there are several mini lessons, uh, some direct instruction lessons and some inquiry mini lessons that I think are fun. That's more my show because that's mini lessons are our are, are chance to get some information about writing out to kids. Uh, there's some small group lessons that, um, that I have with kids. And then I have a whole bunch of writing conferences. I think there are 12 or 13 writing conferences with first, second, fourth, and fifth graders, you know, primary and upper grade kids. And the kids really shine in those conferences too. And I think what's so interesting about those conferences, Matt, is because the kids knew the mentor text, because I had immersed them in those texts. We had done whole class craft study with those texts. I had done some mini lessons with those texts. They knew the text really well. And I think that really shows up in the conferences. They talk about things they want to do that they saw in the text. They're familiar with the text um, so that they learn more readily from the text because of that. Teaching writing is so powerful, Matt. You know, it's such an important skill to learn, to, to have this ability to communicate with people that's so powerful. And the mentor text piece is just so important. And when kids are, you know, being immersed in text and we're doing the whole class text and we're teaching in many lessons, small groups and conferences, it's that's the work of really, as I said before, giving them the keys to the kingdom of really making the craft of writing, the conventions of writing accessible to kids in ways that they can do so that their writing becomes more and more powerful over time and they become great communicators in writing. And that to me is what's so exciting and fun about teaching with mentor text. It really has such amazing impact on kids as writers. I'm so excited for this book to be out in the world and for it to impact um, teachers and students everywhere. So thank you so much. Our thanks to Carl and Matt for their time today. You can learn more about their work at blog.heinemann.com and order Carl's book, A Teacher's Guide to Mentor Texts, at Heinemann.com. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. Copyright Heinemann Publishing.